That song is a great lead-in to the message this morning. Last week, I preached one point out of a sermon about confidence in the Lord. David said in Psalm 27, he said, In this will I be confident. Though an army should encamp against me, I know that God is going to take care of me. And David had a confidence in his life that enabled him to just take the next step, to go forward, not to fall apart because of fear or stress or worry. We live in a world of uncertainty. It's always been that way since the Garden of Eden. Our generation is no exception to that. We, we tend to think that no generation in the history of man has had it as bad as we do. But if you study history, that's not a true statement. I'm sure glad I'm not growing up in Nazi Europe. Okay? Um, that's a, a generation or more ago. I'm, I'm glad I'm not going through that nightmare. Even in the United States of America, we weren't sure how things were going to turn out. We had Japan on one side. We had Germany on the other. They had all declared war on us. And nobody was quite sure how and when that conflict was going to end. It's always been. Uh, we, we ask ourselves today, is the economy ever going to improve? I was talking to somebody this week. I, I remember filling my first car up with gas. It was a 1972 Toyota Corona Mark II. They don't even make those things anymore. I filled it from empty for $4. How would you remember that day? Um, it, you know, and uh, you know, I, I'm just hoping that someday we see gas go below $3 again. I, I have no idea. We're not sure what's going to happen with those things. Um, since 9-11, we've always been kind of looking over our shoulders, wondering, are they going to do it again? And by the way, they're, they're working on it. They're working on it. But that, that insecurity, that uncertainty is always there. Um, go, are we going to keep our job? What, what, what's the next step? And we have so many questions that, that come up into our lives, and some of them we have no way of knowing the answer to. But, but please mark this down. God does not want us living uncertain lives. Paul wrote to young Timothy, he said, God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear, but of love and of power and of a what? A sound mind. I can't trust this world for much because it's constantly changing, but I can trust God for everything because with him there is no variableness, the Bible says, neither shadow of turning confident. David said, in this will I be confident. Uh, as we look at our text this morning, we're going to follow on with a few more things. Last week we talked, I can be confident that God is going to uh, protect me and care for me as long as I stay close to him. Maybe Brother Rob didn't come today because I made him be my sermon illustration and he and I were walking all over the auditorium together. I'm not sure if that's his reason for being sick. Uh, but we talked about that as uh, David said, as long as I'm there abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, I'm safe, I'm secure. And that's what David was talking about in Psalm 27. We find the word confidence again in our text today. In verse 14, John writes and said, and this is the confidence that we have in him. Now he's going to go on and talk about the subject of prayer 
But he's going to talk before that about some things that we have an assurance of. We have a strong, confident foundation in them. And we're just going to sort of walk through some scripture today. I would like for us to get our eyes off the headlines for a while. I'd like for us just to silence Hannity and Buck and Clay and whoever else it is that, that you go to for your support and just focus on the word of God and find our confidence in that which is always right, which never changes. And if we find our confidence there, we're going to be so much different than almost anybody out in this world. There's some things God wants us to know, to be sure of, to be confident in. Number one, God wants us to be confident that we possess eternal life. He wants us to know that. Would you look please in verse 11, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. As you walk through your Bible, when God discusses salvation, when God discusses eternal life, God never uses words of uncertainty or ambiguity. God does not want us guessing about that subject. God always uses worm, words that are in the affirmative. Notice again, this is the record, verse 11, that God hath given to us, well, maybe eternal life. This life might be found in his son, and he that hath the son might have life. He that hath the son of God might, well, maybe he still has it. Does the Bible talk like that? No. This is the record. This is on record. You can count on it. That God hath given, given to us what? Eternal life. He didn't say just that God saved us. He said God gave us eternal life. Do you realize that most of the world, including most of what tries to call itself Christianity, doesn't really believe in the doctrine of eternal life? They believe that, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross and you got to believe in that uh, and that's important, but you got to have the church. You can't get to heaven without the church and you got to have Mary or one of the other saints and, 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 and if you sin again, then you, you need to get saved again and all of this kind of stuff and there's no assurance of eternal life in that. Many of you grew up in the church like I did and I don't mind sharing my testimony. You get bored with it, fall asleep. I'll wake you up later on. I'm not bored with the fact that God saved me out of a life of darkness. But I grew up in a church that said when I stand before God, God would have a set of scales. On one side would be my good works. On one side would be my bad works. And whatever side was heaviest determined heaven or hell. And that we could never know until we get there if, if our good works were sufficient for that. There's no security in that. There's no sense of eternal life in that. John went on to write in verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Amen. Going back to what I was raised to believe, the only time that I would know I'm saved forever is when I got to heaven. Between now and then, it's just this big giant guessing game. 
John said, that's not the way it is. God wants you to know that is present tense right here, right now that you have eternal life. We can be confident God does not use ambiguous terms. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's no might be's or possibilities. It is a definite thing. God will give eternal life. We can have that everlasting life. In Acts 16.30, when the, uh, the Philippian jailer asked Paul and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Not thou might be saved or if God's in a good mood today, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, say it with me, church, shall be saved. God wants us to be confident that we have eternal life, that ye may know that you have eternal life. See, if the devil can get us to doubt that, it is almost impossible to grow from that point. I mean, salvation is where it starts. If I don't have the foundation right, anything I build on that is going to be crooked and wobbly, and there's no security in that whatsoever. That's why the Bible has so much to say about this doctrine. We call it the doctrine of eternal security. This notion that I'm not good enough to save myself, so Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for my sins for me, and I need to receive Christ as my Savior, but after that, I have to be good enough to keep my salvation. How in the world does that work? If I'm not good enough to get it in the first place, how, how do I become good enough to keep it? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse number 5, that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm not kept by anything about me. I'm kept by the power of God. Jesus was clear about it in John chapter 10. Can I get you to turn there? John chapter 10. The Bible says in verse 27, and this is the Savior speaking, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them what? Eternal life. If you can lose it, is it eternal? Yes or no? Not at all. He said, I give unto them eternal life. And just because the Savior knew that there would be heretics come along and they would try to pollute and distort the doctrine of eternal life, he went on to embellish and said, and they shall, next two words, church, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I'm not kept by my own hand holding on to God. I'm kept by God holding on to me. I got Jesus holding me on his hand. I got the Father holding me on the other hand. This is what my salvation looks like. The only way you're going to get me unsaved, you're going to have to whoop God the Father, then you're going to have to whoop God the Son. Ain't going to happen. See, you can whoop me, but you can't, you can't beat them up. 
Jesus gave that, that very beautiful picture to say, uh, I've given you eternal life. You shall never perish. And child of God, we ought to rejoice in that. Everything about this world is temporary. Everything. The, the bank account or the money that you so enjoy and so in some cases even Christian people worship, that's temporary. All it takes is a big downturn in the economy and your money's worthless and it's headed that way real fast. But your salvation can't be purchased with money. The Bible says in Peter that we're not re redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. My salvation is eternal. My money is not. I, I like my car. I enjoy my car, but it won't be that many years and my car will be in, in some junkyard getting crushed or being sold for parts. I like my house, but it started falling apart long before I moved in. Everything we have is temporary, yet we place all of our security in that, and that's a foolish way to live. That's why the Savior said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. He wasn't telling us not to be careful and wise about our finances and so forth. He said, but don't let that be what you're living for. He said, but rather lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. My salvation is absolutely eternal. I have a confidence in that. My health's not eternal. Many of you are like me. You've come to places where it didn't look like you were gonna survive the day. Many of us can look back on a day when we were able to do a whole lot more than we can do now. Um, it, it, it's not eternal. And if the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, none of us are going to get younger unless Elon Musk comes up with a cure for that. And he ain't going to do it. Um, you know, it won't be long that we're all, you know, we're all going to get uh, furniture disease and our chest is going to drop into our drawers no matter what we say. It's just the way it's going to be. But my salvation's eternal. I can, I can know that I, that I have eternal life. I wondered about being saved from the time I was in fifth or sixth grade. I've told you many, many times. I remember those days. I remember hearing about somebody who passed away. I remember watching a news report. At the time, uh, the Vietnam War was still being fought. And I remember on the nightly news, the images that were coming to us from the jungles of Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos and so forth. And, and uh, uh, hearing about the reports of all that and, and death scared me. I, I was so bad, I remember watching a movie about the San Francisco earthquake and the number of people that died and, and, and all of the heartache that was a part of that. And I remember that night going to bed and crying, Lord, don't let me die. I don't wanna die. I'm afraid I'm gonna go to hell. God, don't let me go to hell. I knew nothing about being saved other than this lie and this nonsense. Boy, I'm so glad that God saw the need of my heart and God moved my family 50 plus miles away so that somebody from the Church of the Open Door could knock on my door, invite me to ride a bus so that I could hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. The Bible didn't say he that hath a church hath eternal life. It didn't say he that hath a good life hath eternal life. He that hath the son hath eternal life. You either have him or you don't. I met the Son of God as my Savior in August 1972. 
the Holy Spirit came to indwell me and Jesus, my Savior, taught me that he may abide with me forever. Now think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit took residence inside of you if and when you got saved. The Bible says to abide with you for how long? Forever. The only way for you to go to hell, lose your salvation, that means the Holy Spirit has to go to hell too because he's with you forever. Does that make sense? The Bible's so full of it. God wants us to be confident that we have eternal life. Do you? Jonathan Edwards, the leader of the Great Awakening in the 1700s, pastored in Enfield, Connecticut, less than an hour's drive north of us, right up 91. Pastored a church. He became convinced that most of his church members were lost. He just didn't see spiritual life there. He would preach the word of God and they would be bored. He'd talk about living by faith and living for God. And to them, he might as well just been talking about walking on the moon. It meant nothing to them. They were so wrapped up in this world and this world's good. Worldliness is not a new issue. It's as old as mankind. He became convinced of it. That's why he preached the sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Not once, but twice, two weeks apart to the same congregation. The first time they sat and stared at him, just sat and stared at him, he became more burdened than ever and he fasted and prayed for the next 14 days. He didn't want to see his church members cast into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The second Sunday that he stood up, he read his sermon. It was written out, handwritten. He read the manuscript. His biographer said he actually read and spoke with a rather monotone voice. If you've ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it is a very graphic type, type sermon with, with illustrations that, that, that a bombastic preacher could get behind and bring it to life. He had none of that. He had the conviction that these people need to be saved. He had the scriptures that showed them how to do that. He prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall. And while that sermon was in progress, the second time, those hard-hearted, worldly church members began to weep. Some of them began to cry out from their pew, I'm lost, I'm lost, I need to be saved. Not all of them got saved that day, but a great majority of his church members got saved. I'm not trying to hint at all that you're lost. If you're, if you're saved, I can't get you lost and I would never try to do so. But it behooves every one of us to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. I will be honest. I've pastored for 30 plus years. I've been in the ministry for 43 years. I'm gonna be honest. The way I watch people live sometimes, I mean consistently. The way I watch them get angry, sometimes just simply reading a verse of scripture as a pastor, I worry, am I pastoring a lost church member? And now's the time to deal with it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, behold, now is the day of salvation. Oh, well, what will people think if I come forward to get saved? They'll think you finally came to your senses. They will rejoice. 
The devil lies to us though and wants us to think, well, if I go forward and admit that I'm lost, then everybody's gonna laugh at me or whatever. Anybody that would laugh at you for getting saved is not worth having a friend, number one. Number two, they probably need to follow you down the aisle because everybody that's saved knows that it's the most important thing we're gonna take out of this life. Am I right? We've had more people come through here and talk to us about it. Missionaries grew up in Christian homes, several that grew up in this church that while on deputation realized that they were not saved. Preachers, kids, all kinds of people. Again, I'm not trying to make you doubt. I'm, I'm trying to give you confidence in the scripture. But if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, you can't have that confidence. I, I love the fact that Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me for of such are the kingdom of heaven. I love that. I watched Rob and Anna with my grandchildren, Nate and Gwen, the twins. They'll, they'll be seven years old next March. Um, I, I, I just love as those two little kids from the time they were born, they came to Sunday school and church. They heard the gospel. They started asking questions about things. But Rob and Anna didn't rush into it. Hey, why don't you pray and ask Jesus into your heart? They would have done so. But to do so without the understanding is useless. No conviction, no conversion. But one Sunday night on the way home, I think it was a Sunday night, those two little kids started asking questions and they weren't, they, they weren't letting it go. They were concerned. They're six years old. They're concerned about where they're going to spend eternity. And they trusted Christ as the Savior. I think in the van. I don't think they ever got out of the van. They stayed in there. They got saved. And then they came in the house. And the next morning, I came downstairs. And they were just bouncing off the walls. They, 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 they needed to tell Papa, I got saved. I got saved. I got saved. And even then, Rob and Anna were careful about, uh, about baptism to make sure did they really understand? Um, and we need to do that with the child. By the way, God saves children. But can I just put this out there? If you can't remember getting saved, is that wise? I'm not trying to make you doubt. I'm trying to be realistic here. I, I, dear friends of ours in upstate New York when I was youth pastor there, they had a son that was a, he is a year older than my son, Tim. When he was 18 months old, his mother declared that he got saved. How many remember when your kids were 18 months old? They're still slobbering on themselves. They're, they're barely talking much. But this mother said, no, he got saved. He and the next thing you know, she's pressuring the pastor to baptize him as a two-year-old now. And I mean, I, I mean, she's just in, insistent. Yeah, he got saved. Yeah, he got saved. It's amazing. We all think our kids are super special. Ask everybody else. You'll find that your kid's probably not as special as you think, or at least not in the way you think. Can I just be honest with you? That young man has floundered his entire life. Because every time the subject of getting saved came up, his mother said, no, no, you got saved when you were 18 months old. It was a miracle of God. It was an, and she just talked him out of ever considering salvation again. He's floundered his whole life. Now, as a parent, do we want our kids saved, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. But as a wise parent, we understand salvation comes 
under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. So again, I put it out there. If you can't remember getting saved, maybe that's why the whole Christian life is so, such a struggle for you. That's why living by faith just doesn't seem to happen for you. That's why when the pastor preaches that you can see it from the Bible, but you just get mad rather than get right. Maybe it's because you haven't really taken the first step. God says, I want you to be confident that you're saved. Are you? Are you? If you are, that's something to shout about. That's something to rejoice in. That's something to relive. That's something to tell everybody about. I, I was speaking with somebody just uh, the other day uh, about the matter of salvation, how when I got saved, I thought everybody would want to get saved. I, I, just, I just thought, man, this is the best thing in the entire world. I was stunned when I realized that most people don't even want to hear it. Well, I have my church. You have your way. I have mine. There's only a Bible way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How much more clear do you need it than that? I, I, I went to my high school uh, right after I got saved, 2,000 students. And as soon as I learned what gospel tracts were, uh, I was carrying my Bible to school. I'd only been saved for a few months. I was carrying a pocket full of chick tracts. You remember those, the cartoon type tracts? I was passing them out to everybody. I just assumed everybody at Hamfield High School wanted to get saved because it was the most awesome thing in the world. And I found out almost none of them did. I was excited about it. And I'm still excited about it. I'm excited about so many things God's done, and so many things that God's given me, but the only thing I'm really taking out of this life is my salvation. The only thing going to heaven besides me are the people that I've won to Christ and the treasures that I'm laying up for heaven by just serving Christ because I love him because he saved me. Do you have that confidence? John writes, let's go back to 1 John 5. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may know. Number two, there's something else in this passage that God wants us to be confident of. He wants us to be sure that God hears and answers our prayers. Verse 14. And this is the, what's the next word, church? Confidence that we have next two words. In him. Is there anybody you know that you can be 100% confident in 100% of the time? You know they'll never make a mistake. You know they'll never fail. You know they'll never mess up. You have 100% confidence in them 100% of the time. Is there anybody you know that's like that? No, we're human beings. We live in a world of imperfect people. This is the confidence that we have in who? In him, that's talking about the son of God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Yesterday afternoon, I was up in my rooms upstairs and Rob and Anna, the kids were all in the living room. Neither Rob or Anna were feeling very well. Um, and the kids were in rare form. It's like they knew mom and dad were sick, so it was like, let's be as routed as we possibly can and make their lives happier. 
And so there was just kind of a lot of, they weren't being bad, they weren't fighting and all that kind of stuff. But every now and then I, I could just hear Rob and Anna, their heads are pounding like, hey guys, bring it down, tone it down just a little bit. And uh, I, I heard Tommy, now Tommy's autistic and an autistic child, uh, repetition can be a very big part of their life. And he had a question for one of his parents. And at this point, I'm, I'm just listening, thinking, boy, I'm glad it's them and not me. Um, so I'm upstairs just sort of listening to this. And Rob and Anna are having some kind of a conversation back and forth. And I don't know where Tommy was in the room. I don't know if he's laying on the floor. I don't know if he's standing beside them. Don't you love it when your child is just standing there? Dad. Hey, dad. Dad. And they're just having, saying it over. And how many love that? Two of you. Okay. My dad wasn't one of those. Um, I, I don't know where Tommy was positioned, but he just, he had a question and he just kept asking the question over and over again. And Rob and Anna kept talking amongst themselves. So Tommy just kept asking the question. They kept talking. Tommy kept asking, they kept talking. He kept asking and asking and asking and asking. And they kept talking. Was Tommy being heard he was making noise. Was he being heard? Yes or no? No. No. Because he was not heard, was Tommy getting an answer? No. Look at that verse. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, how do I know the will of God? How do I know if what I'm asking is in the will of God? It lines up with the word of God. Here's where his will is revealed for us. If we ask anything according to his will, the Bible says we have confidence about this. The end of verse 14, what are the last three words, church? He heareth us. Um, Brother and Mrs. Reimers, okay? Can you just start talking? Just, yeah, just talk about any talk about how awesome the sermon is, how tall the pastor looks today. Okay, just, just keep talking. Just keep talking along um, uh, and, and, and uh, just keep talking no matter what. Uh, bro Brother Reimers, uh, I need 10 bucks. Can you, can you loan me 10 bucks? I need 10 bucks. Brother Reimers, Brother Reimers, Brother Reimers. Yo, Brother Reimers. Okay, he's not listening. Brother Reimers, I need 10 bucks. Brother Reimers, I need 10 bucks. Your wife doesn't need 10 bucks as much as I do. Hey, Brother Reimers. Hey, bro no, keep talking. Hey, Brother Reimers. Brother Reimers, Brother Reimers. Now, no, we laugh about that, but isn't that how it happens a lot with people? You know, we need something, but they're, they're busy with their own lives in their own world. Okay? The Bible says, I have a confidence, an unshakable trust and reliance in this truth. That if I ask anything according to his will, the very first thing, he heareth us. Brother Carson, you've never been part of this illustration before. Congratulations, you are now. Can I get you to stand over here? He'll be sick next Sunday. You just watch. He'll be sick. Right there. Now, don't come down here. Just stand all the way up. You are God today. Okay? Trust me, he thinks he is. No. No, he, he really doesn't. He's a good man. You're going to be the Lord. Um, I ask uh, early in the service, I do it all the time now, how many have something that you need prayed for? How many are like that? Okay, you're going to be part of this and you have to help me. I want everybody on the count of three at the same time out loud, 
to ask him for something. I don't care if you ask him for a new car. I don't care if you ask him uh, to make you tall, if you need money, if you're sick, you need to be well. Uh, I'm not, I don't care what it is. I want you to ask him for something. Everybody out loud together, the count of three, listen. Ready? One, two, three. Did you hear that? What do you mean? I heard it. Yeah, you heard it. Okay, very good. What did Brother Freud ask for? But you heard it. As a human being, we are so limited by our ability. We, we can really only hear about one thing at a time that there's distractions. It's just, it's just background noise. Do you understand the power of our God that's on display in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and 14? And we, and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we, any one of us, ask anything according to his will, what's the first thing it says? He heareth us. Do you understand? Everybody in this room asked Brother Carson something and he heard a whole bunch of hubbub. We might have all just been as well to be saying rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb all at the same time because that's about all you got out of it, am I right? But do you realize that our God, no matter how many of his children are praying at any given time anywhere in the world, somehow God is able to hear Brother Rick Graff out of everybody he hears exactly what you're praying about. He knows why you're praying for it and he knows what to do about it. And even though you're praying and God's listening to you, somehow he is so amazing, he hears my prayer at exactly the same moment. God never says, wait a minute, I'm talking to Rick now. I don't have to do this with God. Hey God, hey God, come on, do the talking thing. Stop talking to Gabriel. Gabriel doesn't need nothing. I'm more... I never have to do that with God. I'm his child when I come into his presence. The moment he sees, and sees me or hears my voice, son, what do you need? He is right there. This is the confidence that we have in him. He hears us. He, he hears us, Brother Bailey. He hears us. In this loud world, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. Going back to that illustration where everybody was speaking at one time, you heard them speak, did you not? Um, let's say that everybody was asking you for a sum of money, all different. They had some kind of a bill to pay and you have unlimited funds, okay? Let's say that that's true. Brother Paul asks you and says, I need X number of dollars. He was part of that crowd making the noise. You can't meet his need because you don't know what he asked for. And be, even though he asked because you didn't hear it like we're talking about, sorry. Ta-da, try, try somewhere else. Try City Corp. Um, doesn't work that way. But our God, our God hears whatever it is, is the cry of your heart. He is so attentive to you, you don't even have to say the words. 
Have you ever been so burdened and you didn't even know what to pray? You didn't even know what to ask for. You just came to your God and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't even know how to get this into words. Do you understand the Holy Spirit interprets for us Romans chapter 8? John said, here's our confidence. That if we ask anything according to his will, I'm not asking selfishly like James talks about, that I might consume it upon my lust. But, but the word of God gives me that promise. I can ask for my daily bread. I can ask for wisdom. I can pray for people to be saved, so on and so forth. God, John says, I want you to understand. I want you to have your confidence in this. Just as sure as you are that he saved you when you asked him to, would you understand that when you pray, number one, he hears you. Out of all the other voices, he still hears you. And because you know that he heard you, you know that he's going to answer you. Call unto me, God said, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ask, the Savior said, and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. This is the confidence. Two points out of four. Brother Carson, thank you. This is the confidence that we have in him. How many have prayed for something for years and it just looked like it wasn't going to happen? Anybody? My hand is up. How many have prayed for something over a long period of time like that and the more time that went by, it seemed less and less likely that it could happen. Sure, we've, we've all been there. I got saved as a 14-year-old. My brother, who's two years older than I am, got saved the same day, the same Thursday, in another department. I have a sister a year younger than I am. She got saved on that same Thursday in yet another department. Three of us got saved that same day. We started going to church uh, uh, right after that, and my dad would take us because we just kind of always went to church, even when it was the Presbyterian church from before we moved. But as my dad listened to the preaching of Pastor Nitz at Church of the Open Door, most of the time my dad got mad. Most of the time. And my pastor was, was a, a solid Bible teaching pastor. He really, really was. He wasn't a loud, bombastic guy. He wasn't really an in-your-face guy. He's the kind of guy I, I remember him preaching. I, I was close enough. Teen section was over here, and there'd be 30 or 40 of us over here. I was close enough to see the tears rolling down my pastor's face as he preached. But it didn't matter. My dad just got mad. But he still went with us. And he let us know he disagreed with almost everything that we were hearing from the Bible at church. We started praying for my dad. Years went by. Believe it or not, my dad drove a Sunday school bus and he was still unsaved. Still, he still disagreed with everything the pastor preached. But he, he liked being a mechanic and so he worked on the buses and all that. As lost as lost could be and vocal about it. Pastor was very, very gracious, very patient. The years went by and the longer it went by, my mom prayed, my brother and uh, two sisters and I prayed, but it really looked unlikely that my dad would ever get saved. When I got called to preach, 
he went ballistic. In Bible college, I got hate mail from my dad telling me what a fool I was. I got cursed out. And I'm not, I'm not embellishing anything. I'm, I'm really understating the nightmare that he put me through. I thought back, look back on my college calendar and different things like that. It was actually my senior year at Hiles Anderson. My senior year. I would graduate in about four months from when this event happened. I got a letter from my mom in Pennsylvania saying that I don't know why, but your dad wants to come out and visit you. My dad had dropped me off there nearly four years earlier, and the last thing he said is, you're an idiot, you're a fool, you're a jerk, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, and when you're ready to come home and come to your senses, I'll come back and pick you up. That was the only other time my dad had been there. And now she said, I don't know why, but your dad wants to come visit you. So a weekend was set aside. I, I made arrangements, a house for them to stay in uh, and, and all those things. Uh, he left work on Friday afternoon. They drove through the night. They got there early uh, on Saturday morning. I spent all day Saturday with my family, took them up uh, and, and showed them all where my Bible club was and so forth. Sunday morning, um, we're all going to go to church, First Baptist Church in Hammond together. And right after church, they were going to leave and go back to Pennsylvania so dad could be ready for work Monday morning. We sat on the back row of the auditorium at First Baptist Church. Dr. R.G. Lee preached that Sunday. He was 93 years old. He was an eloquent, eloquent Southern gentleman preacher. And we just sat back there like we had done a lot in the church I grew up in. One a bombastic sermon. It wasn't his famous uh, sermon that he, that he preached payday Sunday. He would preach that on Sunday night. But Sunday morning, I don't even remember the subject of it. We just sat there, and I can't honestly say that I was begging God during that sermon that God would get a hold of my dad. I know that I prayed about it a few times. There was almost a part of me that thought it's not going to happen. You ever get there? But to my amazement and my mom's amazement sitting over here, dad was here, I'm in the middle, they're on either side of me. Dan, dad leaned over and said, during the invitation, I'll go forward if you'll go with me. And I'm kind of like, say what? I'll go forward if you go with me. My mom heard it. And I heard a, like a sudden intake, like she couldn't even believe what was happening. And, and, and my mom and my two sisters watched as I walked my dad down that long aisle all the way down to the front of the auditorium. One of the older workers uh, prayed with my dad. I, I remember my dad kneeling like right here uh, at, at, at the altar. I watched as he got up off his knees and a short time later, a few minutes later, going into the baptistry and Brother Howes baptized my dad. Years of praying for a man who got more obstinate and angry about it than ever before. But don't you underestimate the power of God. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. He hears you, child of God. Nobody else hears you. Nobody else knows the cry of your heart, but he hears you. And if we know that he heareth us, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. So don't stop praying. God's given you a confidence that's just as sure as your salvation. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. You've listened.